I'm going to ask John and Sharon Baber, if you don't mind sticking around here a little bit. And um, like I said, everybody has a story. You know, some Sunday I might just stop preaching and just point out, all right, you know, Phil Cavell, come on up here, or Gilbert Gomez, or, you know, why don't you like that? And, uh, but we've done that with Sharon and John. And tell us a little bit, Sharon, John, uh, when you came to faith in Christ, what were the circumstances of that? How did that happen? You grew up in a Christian home, like yes. I did. Yes. Um, I can't remember the year, but I was a little guy. And I remember my mama uh, telling me Christian about Jesus, uh, Christian stories, as she gave me a bath. Oh, I and thought you were going to say that she gave you a whipping. <laughs> well, she did that too. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> and she did a, a good job too many times. But um, uh, she made it interesting to me, and one day she asked me if I wanted to accept Jesus Christ as my Savior. And I said yes. And I credit that to uh, helping me stay straight in the Marine Corps and as a police officer for 28 years. And after I got out of the Marine Corps, uh, I met a guy in the Marine Corps and we got out on the same day. And nearly 60 years ago, this Thanksgiving, I met my beautiful wife uh, by going to church. And uh, that's been a blessing to me that uh, God had prepared mm. before the beginning of time. Yeah. Our, it, maybe many of you did not grow up in a Christian home um, like we did, but aren't we so grateful for parents that in, in, inputted that into our life and loved us enough to point us to Jesus? Absolutely. Yeah. Sharon, how about your, your story? Mine's a little more involved because, and thank you for asking for us to be focusing on those people that had an impact in bringing us to the Lord. I grew up in Michigan in a church going, I've tried to find, what would I call it? A church going family. And I started to church when I was a week old. Mm -hmm. And I never missed a Sunday until. By the way, that's better than week and old. Isn't it? Okay, yes. <laughs> but I never missed a Sunday all the way through my senior year in high school. Hmm. And based on that, I considered myself a Christian. And that if I were to die, I would instantly be in heaven. Clueless. I, at, right on schedule at 12 years old. I was baptized, had no clue what that was about. So just skip ahead all the way through getting married, going to college, all of this to 1970. We had been living in Arlington, Virginia for well, about two years. 
when Johnny's mom and dad asked us to please go to this Christian camp in Asheville, North Carolina. We did not want to go, but out of respect for them, we did. Okay, we're not gonna meet anybody, so because we didn't want to, and so we would go in five minutes late and leave five minutes early hmm. for a like week. like some church people here. <laughs> no. I'm not no, saying anything no. <laughs> there, okay. So he tricked us, the professor tricked us. It was a family life seminar and he stopped early on the last day. We couldn't escape. Mm -hmm. And this couple that had been sitting next to us for a whole week, Commander? Lieutenant Commander. Lieutenant Commander Bill Campbell and his wife Jane cornered us. They were being transferred to Arlington, where we lived, and they wanted to exchange information. They wanted to get in touch with us so we could recommend a church to them, okay? I realized that we, that weekend, that we were going to a dead church. I had never even heard that term before. So that sure enough, they got to town and they got in touch with us and they said, well, how about if we find a church and invite you? So they did, and it was Barcroft Bible Church in Arlington, Virginia, if any of you are familiar with that. And our lives we got a changed <laughs> then. It was an amazing thing. It was such an alive church, just like this. And so we got very involved, and Jane took me under her wing and started mentoring me, and we, uh, memorized scripture, huge chunks of scripture together. And then after a while, she invited me to teach Sunday school with her, teach kids. 20 years I taught with her. And my wise mother-in-law said, the teacher always learns more than the students yeah. in the studying and everything. And she answered so many questions for me. She was so wonderful. And the big question that I had, and many of you may not relate to this, but I had three little children, Johnny being a police officer, and that particular year was our time when he was in, many police officers were killed. And that became a huge fear in my life. What would happen to me if Johnny were to be killed? And she said, Sharon, and I, I have, this has stuck with me all of 50 years, this has stuck with me. If Johnny were to be killed, that was God's plan for him. He also has a plan for you and your little kids. So, I just thank her so much. She has remained a precious friend. She and Lieutenant Commander Bill Campbell. And, and isn't it exciting? I mean, that was a divine appointment, going to that conference, sitting next to them, mm -hmm. and the friendship that developed that drew you into a deeper walk with the Lord. Yes. John, you were an elder at McLean Bible Church and have served the, the, the Christian 
community and Sharon uh, in so many ways. Um, thank you too for your service as a Marine, as a police officer, and for raising that family, one of whom's He's over there taking a picture oh, there, of us. Oh, there's, yeah, yeah, right. Thank you so much for sharing your story with us today. I appreciate it so much. Thank you. You know, the power of, a, the power of friendship, and never underestimate that, the, the power of friendship. I think it was, at least he's reported to have said, Theodore Roosevelt was a, reported to have said, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. And I'd like to just add two little words to that. People don't know how much you, don't care how much you know until they know how much you care about them. It just personalizes it. It was Dale Carnegie who once said, you can make more friends in two months by showing interest in others than you can in two years by trying to get them interested in you. Friendships. As we continue this month of November with this theme of, of overflowing, the, the idea of God's love that has been poured and shed in our hearts, poured out in our hearts. In September, we talked about how that is to overflow in the life of the local church. In October, we emphasized uh, a little bit on the, that overflow into the, the church universal as we had our global church week and we had friends and partners in ministry from around the world here with us. But here in November, we want to, or at least for these four weeks here in November, we want to focus a little bit on the overflow of God's love to those neighbors or those, those friends, those acquaintances, uh, that's, that school friend, that uh, fellow coworker who might not know Jesus as a personal Savior. How do we position ourselves? What do we do? I talked last week of the reality that we need to look at people differently. They have a hole in their soul. There's a, as, as Blaise Pascal said, there's this infinite abyss, this, this deep darkness of meaningless futility that is in the, the soul of everyone who doesn't know Jesus because only God can fill that hole. And if you don't have a relationship with him, it's a hole that is there. And we need to begin to see, that, have this sense of urgency as we look at people and talk with people. There might be people around your Thanksgiving table who don't know Jesus. And, and maybe it's an obnoxious uncle or a whatever, you know, a, a, an embittered cousin or, or whoever. But, you know, we can, we can see the surface issues, but uh, we're called to look beyond that. Um, this morning, I just want to share with you three things about how we can overflow into the life of someone who doesn't know Jesus. And that is that we, first of all, need to be people who listen to their story. And then we need to be able to share our story and ultimately point them to his story. Listen to their story and then share your story so that you can point them to his story. Listening to their story uh, can be difficult. Sometimes, if we're honest, we would say, I, I would prefer not to. But as we saw last week, that's when we got to put on those Jesus glasses. We got to begin to see people differently, like Jesus saw Levi, the tax collector, and all his friends. Or the, that woman from Sychar, that woman of ill repute that Jesus spent time with and, and, and looked past the, the surface behaviors of this woman and, 
and saw the whole inner soul. We have to put on the, the Jesus glasses. So listening to their story starts by, first of all, changing our attitude a little bit about how we view people who don't know Jesus. Let's get beyond the surface stuff, put on the Jesus glasses so that we are now prepared to, second of all, hear their story. Let's open our ears. Let's ask some questions. Let's show some genuine interest and, and find out what is going on in their life. Why do people do what they do? Why do they say what they say? And we'll never know if we don't build some relationships by asking some questions and opening our ears and listening to their story. A couple months ago, I was meeting a guy at the, at the McDonald's in Stevens City. He was a salesman. I'd never met this guy before. And we're um, um, sitting across the table chatting, and, and he's doing his thing. But, you know, in the course of the conversation, it came out that uh, years ago, he got involved in Alcoholics Anonymous. And it was totally life-changing for him. He was on a, a, a course of total self-destruction as a young 20-something-year-old. And he lost his, his first wife and family and, and just the mess that his life was in. And, and uh, over the last 30-some years, it was totally different. And the time in AA and he now was in a new marriage and things were going just wonderfully. And he loved his job. And he just talked about how good his life has been and how bad it could have been. He was so, uh, you just pick up on these things. And I'm, I'm taking mental notes as the guy's talking, you know. But an opportunity opened up for me, and this is a kind of a God thing. And there was a point in that conversation where I was able to say, man, I, this is a great story. I'm so glad that you got some help with AA and things are going well for you in this life. I mean, yeah, it would be very scary to think where you would be if, this hadn't happened. But let me ask you a question. I'm glad things are going well in this life, but have you ever thought about how life is going to go for you in the next one? And his jaw hit the table. And he said, I don't think anybody's ever asked that to me. How is my life going to be in the next? And I was able to talk a little bit about Jesus. We need to listen to their story. Take the time, build the bridges, gain that passport with someone, and we do it by listening to their story. And at some point, we can transition and we can begin to tell our story. That's the second thing to focus on. We hear their story, but at some point, we can tell our personal encounter with Jesus Christ. Um, take your, your Bibles and turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 2, just real quickly, 1 Peter chapter 2. Uh, this is a passage starting in verse 11 where Peter tells how we as Christians ought to live in a non-Christian world. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 11. He says, Beloved, I urge you as aliens and strangers, that is, people who are heaven-bound, that are, our real citizenship is in heaven. We're strangers on this earth. As people of God, I urge you to, and he says, abstain from fleshly lust, which wage war against the soul, and, verse 12, keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles. He mentions two things here. He talks about the internal aspects of our heart. Guard against those fleshly lusts. Look, you know what can derail us and our ability to talk with unsaved people? It's succumbing to those those sinful desires that kind of draw us away from trust in the Lord and 
living dependently upon ourselves. Uh, we, in our study of Romans chapter 7, that came out so clearly. Romans chapter 7, the Apostle Paul says, oh, man, that stuff I, I'm doing, I hate. I'm doing the very thing I don't want to do. The good I want to do, I don't. I'm doing the things I don't want to do. Oh, wretched man that I am. And Paul was being honest. There are times where we could get drawn away. And, and Peter is saying, guard against that internal struggle. Watch your heart. Keep track, keep guard over your heart, out of, out of which flows the wellsprings of life. It's out of the abundance of the heart. The mouth speaks. The, we, we act. What a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. Our behavior follows that. So it starts, Peter says, by abstaining from those fleshly lusts that wage, wage war, that neutralize us as impactful followers of Jesus Christ. But second of all, he said, then keep your behavior excellent. It could be translated beautiful, uh, noble. Keep your behavior excellent among the, the, the unsaved world. Live carefully. Guard your testimony. Watch the inner part out of which flows the behavior, the outer part. Why? Look at the last part of verse 12. So that in the thing in which they slander you as evildoers, they may, because of your good deeds, as they observe them, glorify God in the day of visitation. The New International Version puts it this way. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God in the day that he visits us. Christians are the Bible, as it were. Uh, we are a, a living testimony to the reality of a living God. And people watch. Guard your inner heart. Watch your behavior. Live beautiful lives. One of the most compelling evidences of, a, of the reality of a living God is how we're living our lives. It's how he has changed us. It's our story in connection with our relationship with the living God. And someone said we have to be good news before we share good news. The world is watching. And man, do they have eyes to see. Lisa and I were talking Friday with a 41-year-old man who, by his own admission, says, I've had no time for God. Not anything in my scope of, uh, of uh, on my radar for my life. And so we ask questions. Well, why is that? What, tell us your story. And he said he grew up in a family in Baltimore. He said half of my, my, my kinfolk, half of my family were Roman Catholic, practicing Roman Catholics. The other half were born-again Christians. And then he said, and neither group lived their lives that you'd want to emulate. And it just was like a dagger into us. Here was a lot of God talk going on that he grew up in. He remembered stories when he was 10 and so on, but it just meant nothing to him because they were all phonies and fakes. And he has gone off on his own life, and it's a life, it just, it leaves you heartbroken. No, the skeptic's right. Show me your redeemed life, and I just might happen to believe in your Redeemer. The world's watching. They're watching. So we listen to their story so that we can share our story. Now, we just not only do that by our behavior, at some point we have to open our mouths and do it by our words. 
as God opens a door for us, we can share by our words what Jesus Christ has meant to us. Now, I just want to take a, a moment and, and walk you through this. There's a, a handout that is out in a little, as you leave, on a, on a little, little stands back there called How to Share Sharing Your Story. To share your story. Um, I do this thing called How to Give Your Testimony in Three Minutes or Three Easy Steps to Share Your Testimony. So let me walk it through you, with you real quickly. First of all, Take a moment, a minute, and share what your life was like before you knew Christ. Now, for John and I, as, we talk, as you heard John talk about, we grew up in a Christian home, and I was about five years old when I came to know Christ. I don't have much memory at all about what my life was like before Christ. I mean, how bad can a little four, three, four, five-year-old boy be? Well, I, okay, I won't go there, but... <laughs> <laughs> Praise God, mom's in heaven. But, uh, but some of you, boy, you, you, could, you, you, you could fill in the, the gaps there. Might have been when you were 20, 30 years old that you had a real encounter with Jesus Christ for the very first time. So take a moment and share. What, what was your life like before you met Christ? Second of all, what were the circumstances of how you met Jesus? You, you tell the story of... Uh, of um, you know, sitting in a in a restaurant, and and a uh, um, waitstaff came up to you and began to talk with you, and all of a sudden, engaged you in a conversation about her relationship with Jesus. And God used that, or or maybe it was a, a, a third grade teacher in um, um, at you know, Bass Hoover Elementary School who took you aside when you were you know being naughty or whatever, and, and just loved you and pointed you to Jesus. But what, what's your story? How did you encounter Jesus Christ? You take about a minute and, and summarize that. And then thirdly, you share what your life has been like since you've trusted Christ. And of course, here you don't tell about, oh, everything's wonderful, you know, I've had no problems ever since, life is glorious. Well, people will see through that because you know that's a lie. Um, we still struggle, and there's still pain in our life, and there's still bad things that happen to good people all the time. But in the midst of that, you share the reality of, of who Jesus is in the midst of that. What's it like to have a relationship with the living God in the midst of all the horrific nonsense of the day? And you can share the reality that Jesus has made in your life. And I'm telling you, in three minutes, you package this thing, you take that little worksheet home and you work on it, and you package this thing, man, you're loaded for bear. You're ready to go. And one day, maybe soon, you'll be sitting somewhere in a McDonald's or somewhere else with a salesman or whoever, and you're listening to their story and you're asking questions, and, and ever so slightly, the door will open, and now you can say, that's, that's a, a fascinating journey you've been on. You know, there was a time in my life, and you, you lovingly and wisely begin to talk a little bit about your story and what Jesus Christ means to you. You do it by your actions. You tell your story by your words. Isaac Watts, 300 years ago, said, so let our lips and lives express the holy gospel we profess. And so let our works and virtues shine 
to prove his doctrines all divine. So when we listen to their story, share our story, at some point, we've got to tell him his story. Because people listening to our story will never get to heaven. It's not our story that makes a difference in people's lives. It's his story. Our story simply uh, prepares the soil, the ground, for his story to be told. So point them to his story. I, in, I invite you to go over to one of Paul's epistles, Colossians chapter 4. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians chapter 4, verse 2. Colossians chapter 4, verse 2. This is the great Apostle Paul, the great missionary, the man who you think would never have a problem sharing the reality of Jesus to anyone. But he says in verse 2, devote yourselves to prayer, keeping alert in it with an attitude of thanksgiving. In verse 3, praying at the same time for us as well, that God will open a door of, for the word so that we can speak forth the mystery of Christ for which I have also been imprisoned. And verse 4 says that I may make it clear in the way that I ought to speak, that I can make it clear. Make what clear? Well, the mystery of the good news of Jesus. I want to speak that forth, says Paul, but I, I'm asking for your prayers that when I go about and encounter people, I can make it clear. Paul's concern was that God's message of salvation would be made clear. He just Paul was not asking, he just didn't want to speak. He wanted to speak clearly. Look, if the message is worth sharing, it's worth sharing clearly, not to get it muddied up. The apostle said in Acts chapter 4, there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven that is given among men by which we must be saved. That name is the name of Jesus Christ, the mystery of Christ. And all Paul is saying is, look, pray for me. Because when I encounter people, I want to talk about him. The message of eternal salvation centers around Jesus Christ. Now, that's why we have to make it clear. When we share the good news that'll make a difference where a person's going to spend eternity. Amazing, isn't it? Where a person is going to end up for all of eternity rests in a message that is conveyed clearly. Now Paul shares that message if you go over or go back to his letter to the Corinthian church, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 1. What is this message about Jesus, this mystery of Jesus Christ that needs to be spoken clearly? Verse 1. Now I make known to you, brethren, the gospel, the good news, which I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are saved, if you hold fast the word which I preached to you, unless you didn't believe it, you believed in vain. For I delivered to you, verse 3, as of first importance, what I received, that Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures, and he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day, according to the scriptures, and he appeared. He was seen. Now, you can't get any simpler than that. Paul says, I make known to you, brethren, the good news which I 
preached to you, when Paul went there and evangelized in the wretched uh, Greek city of Corinth and all their evilness, what was his message? He said, I preached it to you, and it was a message they received, and he said, it's the message in which you're standing. Your eternal salvation rests on this message. What was it? That Christ died for our sins, and he rose again. It's the work of Jesus Christ. We center on what Christ has done. It's a central message. No other um, founder of a religion can have that message. No other Buddha, Gandhi, Muhammad, nobody has a message like Jesus had. The God-man who came to earth for the express purpose of shedding his blood, he died for our sins. He made the payment for our sins. That's why he came. And his work was completed. It was perfect. And he was raised then again on the third day. He died and he rose again. This is the work that Jesus has done for us. And it's what must be preached and believed in order to have everlasting life. Now, you don't think Satan has some clever ways to muck that up? And the most clever ways he does it is through religion. Good night how religion has screwed up the message. You got to do this. You got to do that. You got to be baptized. We're having a baptism service tonight. These people aren't getting saved tonight. They're proclaiming their faith in water baptism. You got to obey this. You got to try hard. You got to do this. You just hope that at the end of your life, your good works will outweigh your bad works and God will let you into heaven. No. But religion, just all the ways, all so many ways, just changes that message. And we can even do it somewhat unwittingly at times. You know, you hear a, a presentation, and, and even the good news about Jesus is shared. He died for our sins. He rose again. Now, I want you to bow your head, close your eyes. Everybody, you know, praying here, and nobody peeking. And uh, I'm going to invite you to come forward right now. Get out of the aisle and walk forward. And Well, there's nothing wrong with that, but my goodness, that can be confusing because, folks, you just did something. You just walked up and did something, and salvation is nothing about what we do. I, I mean, I've shared before, you know, you can give your life to Christ right now. This is the opportunity. Well, you know, I want to be honest with you. God doesn't want your life. He wants to give you His. It's a free gift. Well, don't we have to kind of open our heart to Jesus? No, it's his responsibility to open our heart to him. You see, the bottom line is, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever, what, walk an aisle, say a prayer, go to church, get baptized, whosoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. And so oftentimes here at Fellowship Bible Church, we'll say, look, here's the good news, folks. You want to know where you're going to spend eternity? Before you walk out of those back doors, even some of you right now, do you want to know where you're going to spend eternity? Well, you can know. That's a wonderful thing. Because it isn't up to you. It's not a matter how many hoops you've got to jump through religiously. Jesus has already done it. He came 2,000 years ago and he died for your sins. He made the penalty, paid the penalty. He sacrificed his life for you. And he's alive. He rose again. And the only thing you have to do, which is not a work at all, 
is transfer your trust off of yourself and to him alone. Whosoever believes in him, who does not work, but believes in him, has everlasting life. So we'll say here, there's the message, there's the good news. Now I'm not going to invite you to bow your head or close your eyes. I'm not going to invite you to walk an aisle or do anything. I'm going to share it one more time. You want to get to heaven? It's a free gift. He did it all. He did it for you. He died for you. He rose again. Are you willing to believe that? Are you willing to put your faith in him and him alone? Don't bow your head. Don't close your eyes. But believe it. Because the Bible says in the moment of faith, we are given new life. Our sins are forgiven. And we have a home in heaven. Make the message clear. And that's what Paul was praying. Pray for me, he said. Above anything, I want to make the message clear. Receiving the free gift of eternal life is a free gift by putting our faith in Christ alone. And it's pure grace, grace alone through Christ alone only as we put our faith in him. The bottom line, folks, is this. As someone told me many years ago, the only thing we can take to heaven is a friend. The only thing we can take to heaven is a friend. If you recall your own story, as some have shared here by video last week and, or here up on the stage, if you recall your own story, chances are that there was somebody in your life that loved you enough to hear your story. Not bash you over the head with the Bible, not shove it down your throat, but just put on the Jesus glasses and, and see you differently and hear your story. You see, they visualized good news before they vocalized it to you. They demonstrated it before they declared it to you. They were good news before they explained the good news to you. God calls us to do the same. God delights to use people to tell other people about the wonderful story of eternal life. If you think about it for a moment, he could use the clouds, couldn't he? he, he you could walk out here and, and all of a sudden the clouds could get rearranged, you know, like, you know, trust Jesus. Oh, wow, that'd be impressive. You could be walking in the woods, an unsafe person walking in the woods, and all of a sudden the the trees begin to blow and whisper, Jesus Christ has died for you. Well, that'd be fantastic, right? The crickets at night, just before they're squashed, could be, you know, cricking out <laughs> the good news of Jesus. God could use anything he wants, but he happens to choose me and you to share the good news to someone else. What's it going to take? What's it going to take to, to share that good news? Well, let's listen to their story first. Let's care enough to put on the Jesus glasses and listen to their heart. And then maybe a door will open and you can share your story. You can share the, simplest, the simple story of, of how Jesus has changed your life, what's happened in your life because of Jesus Christ. And then as you do, you point them to his story. 
That's what God wants for us. That's what he has for us. Building the relationships, sharing the good news of Jesus, pointing them to him. Can you do that here? Well, I know some of you folks, and you're doing it in wonderful ways. But if you are here today and you have yet to put your trust in Christ, if you've yet to understand that Jesus paid for your sins, and it's your sins that are going to separate you from God for all of eternity. This is a serious matter. Your sins have put a great chasm, a great gulf between God and you. And all the amount of religion and all the amount of good works and all the amount of things that you do will never bridge that gap over to God. It's a chasm too great. But the good news is that God loves you. He loves you so much. He sent his son, very God of very God, the second person of the Trinity, to come to this earth, become fully human. And so as a perfect substitute, as the God-man, he could take the sin of the world upon himself and he could die in our place. He was the sacrificial lamb, the ultimate one. He died for our sins. He died for you. And God the Father looked at his son. And his sins were, the sins were paid for. He did a complete perfect work. He finished the tax that he came. And so Jesus was raised again on the third day. He sits right now at the right hand of the Father. He's alive. And he offers you a free gift this morning. I'm not going to ask you to bow your head, close your eyes, raise your hand, walk an aisle. I'm going to ask you to do what Jesus asked. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Believe on me. He that believeth in me, even though he dies, yet shall he live. Have you put your faith and trust in Christ alone? It's the greatest gift that we could ever receive. It's a thing that we should be the most thankful for as we celebrate this week. God, love me. Let's pray. Our Father, in this quiet moment, I ask that your spirit might touch a heart of somebody who is yet to put their faith in Christ, to open it to see the simplicity of this message. It's the easiest thing that a person can do. It costs us nothing, Lord, but it costs you everything. Lord Jesus, you died. You paid for our sins. But you're alive today to offer us eternal life as a gift, a relationship with you for all of eternity, a transformed life, fellowship with the living God, to be a, a member of the, the body of Christ, the church of Jesus Christ, the family of God, all by grace. So do that work, Father, in the heart of someone here. And for those of us who've done that, maybe 10 years ago or maybe 50 years ago, 
renew in us a deeper appreciation so that, Father, we will be burdened with the burden you have, build relationships and care enough to listen to someone's story, and then share our story of your grace and love that ultimately point them to your story of eternal salvation given freely. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.